Welcome again this morning to Lakeside Christian Church. I invite you to grab a Bible and to open it to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, the first book in our New Testaments and the very first chapter of Matthew. This morning we're beginning a four-part series. Counting today, we've got four Sundays before Christmas. Some people uh, in, in different church traditions call this Advent, but a season, not just a day where we celebrate the birth of Christ, but a season where we anticipate and think about his coming and all that it means for us. And so what we're going to do uh, is begin a, a four-part series where we're going to look at each of the four Gospels, one message on each of the Gospels to see what they have to say about who Jesus is and why he came. And so we've entitled it, One Savior, Four Gospels. By one, we're, what we come to believe is that there's a similarity in all of them that we say they're telling the same story. There's a similarity enough in the four Gospels that they're telling us about the same person, the same Jesus, and yet there's four of them. There was a reason that in the providence of God, we, we have more than just one telling of the story. We've got four different accounts from four different perspectives. So there's similarity and there's diversity. Now we experience this in our everyday life. Uh, everyone here is going to have sung the exact same songs this morning, partaken in communion, heard the message, and then go from this place. And if you were to be interviewed and said, so what happened today in church? You would give a very different accounting of what happened, even though you shared the same experience. And one of the reasons you'll do that is because you yourself come with different emotions, different perspectives. The, the last couple of days for each of us have been different. For some of us, they've been great and they've been fun and we're just excited and we're in a good mood. So we're just going to notice all the good things that happened today. And for some of us, we're exhausted and we're tired and we're going to miss some things because we've got so many things going on in our mind. We've had almost no downtime. And so finally, when the music starts or the preacher starts preaching, we'll just tune out and we'll just kind of regather our thoughts and get ready for a new week. But you've been in the same building. In fact, if when we were to leave today, we were to ask you to, to share what you experienced and you were to give word for word the exact same account of what happened, there's some things that we might conclude. Which is that somebody's cheating. <laughs> if you wrote down the same beginning, the same middle, and the same end from the same perspective, we'd think somebody really did the homework and then everybody else just said, well, whatever they said. If it was word for word, exactly the same. We expect diversity to be reflected in our own individual personalities. And we know about this as it relates to each other. Did you ever have the experience of running into one of your, when you were you know, a student at school, then running into your teacher at a grocery store or something? And you always knew of your teacher in one way. You know, they're the one who controls the classroom. And they're the one to whom, you know, you got to raise your hand in order to talk to them. And you just think about them only in that way. That's who they are. And then you see them and they're dressed totally different at a grocery store. And they're joking around and they're more relaxed. And it just totally undoes your perspective of them because, you know, you, we want to have the sense that they're perfect and they're almost not real. And we do that with people in church leadership as well. We always see them in a specific way, maybe on a Sunday morning. And wow, they're always dressed up. They always seem to have something to say. 
And we don't know what they're like on a Tuesday. We don't know what they're like in any other experience. And yet there's something fun about getting to know somebody in a different way and getting to see how their brother makes fun of them or getting to see a picture of what they were like when they were a little kid. And you just get this fuller sense, oh, you're real. (laughs) You're, You're a person. There's more to you than just this one specific thing that I see. And so we appreciate diversity. We appreciate getting to know people in a variety of ways. And the gift of the New Testament to us is that we get this very full picture of who Jesus is. We see him from multiple perspectives so that we don't just get locked into one characteristic, but we get to know him as a a real person, the son of God and the son of man, somebody that we can put our trust in and somebody that we can relate to. And so that's what we're looking at, the similarity that exists and the diversity. And so this is how the breakdown will be this Sunday and the following three. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, we see from Matthew's telling that one of the things that he wants to emphasize is that God is faithful. That God is faithful. In Mark, we'll see the emphasis that God is holy. In Luke, we'll see the emphasis that God is great. And then in John, we'll see the emphasis that God is love. And that a biblical understanding is that none of these things contradict each other. They go together well. They paint a more full and a better and more beautiful picture than if all we knew was only one of these things. And so what we've also provided for you in your handouts is a calendar of reading. So today, we're going to have a message on the Gospel of Matthew. And then you'll see that Uh, our encouragement to you is in this Christmas and Advent season is that you commit to reading through the Gospels this month. And so the, the pace is reading a Gospel a week. So that if you, after hearing today, begin tomorrow and you follow the pattern, on Saturday you'll finish the Gospel of Matthew. Next week we'll have a message on the Gospel of Mark and then you'll be encouraged to read through the Gospel of Mark and so on. But just to challenge yourself and see how your own thoughts might be different if you committed in a 30-day period, and this would finish on Christmas Eve, to read through the Gospels, to get all four accountings of Jesus' life and how you might appreciate who Jesus is and what he came to do in maybe ways that you hadn't before. It works out to about four chapters a day uh, if you stay on pace. Some of the Gospels are longer than the others, so this week's reading would be a little bit longer than next week in Mark. Mark is short and sweet. He gets straight to the point. But that's something that we encourage you to do, that as we go through this series, uh, we can only say so much in one message, and so In preaching on the book of Matthew this morning, that doesn't mean this is going to be a three-hour sermon. It's still going to be a typical length sermon, hopefully as an invitation to you to engage the text all on your own and to see what it says about who Jesus is and why he came. And so we've provided those for you to take, hopefully in a small enough form that it can be a bookmark for you in your Bible or can go nicely on your fridge, wherever's the best place for you to put it. So all of that by way of introduction now to Matthew chapter 1. And to see, to demonstrate to you hopefully, uh, Matthew's emphasis in a way that's unique from the others, that God is faithful. And so if you're there on page 807, we'll begin with verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham, 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now skip to verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And then down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from that deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That concludes our portion of Matthew chapter 1. We're going to see that God is faithful to three things according to Matthew. And the first one is that God is faithful to the past. When the, when the gospel opens up with a genealogy and a list of names of people who have gone on before, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then it gives all that descend from them, Matthew is highlighting for us that God is faithful to the past. When we turn to Matthew, we're actually turning to the 40th book in the Bible. There's 39 books that precede it. And if we are ever just have a moment to stop and reflect, we realize that about our own lives. That if you were to take the time to write an autobiography, you're, you're somewhere way down the road already. You're in the 40th chapter. Because the only way you can write an autobiography about yourself is if somebody else has a story before you. And there was a mom, and there was a dad, and there was a grandmother, and then they had a mom and a dad, and it just goes back. For you and for me to even be here, we are connected to the lives of people that went before us. And so Matthew, being the 40th book in our Bible, one of the very first things he wants to highlight is that if we're going to understand well what he has to say, we have to know a little bit about what those first 39 were saying. It's hard to really enjoy the story. It's hard to really get into it and understand what God would have to say to us when we jump in two-thirds of the way. We've missed all of the buildup. We've missed all of the anticipation. This is the main part. This is the climax. But to understand it and to appreciate it, we have to know something about what precedes it. And so that's where he starts. He reminds all of his readers of the names and the people that have gone on before because God is faithful to the past. And we all wonder that. You know, we ask ourselves that question, don't we? Is anybody going to remember what we've done? You know, if, if Christ doesn't return for another couple hundred years, will anybody remember us? 
Will somebody have a picture of me somewhere and say, oh, this was, you know, this was your, your grandfather's father. Or this was your favorite person's, you know, sibling. Will we be remembered or will the work that we do be remembered or will it last? And it's so easy to just think about, one, how many people are in the world and how fast things change and say, it just doesn't seem like it. I mean, how much do I remember of what happened 200 years ago, let alone 400 years ago? There's actually a whole book in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, where that's one of the dilemmas that the writer deals with. And he says, I don't actually think anybody's going to remember. And it just totally cuts out his motivation for then doing anything. He's like, if nobody's going to remember anyway, then what's the point? Is the attitude that, that he struggles with in that book. But where Matthew begins is to say that there is a God who remembers. Nothing is forgotten by him. Everything that is said and everything that is done is remembered by him. Because he's the one person who exists and is alive and well in every generation, in every time, and in every place. And so throughout the scriptures, there's a reminder that one day a judgment will come, not just for the people who are alive at that time, but that every person who's ever lived will be judged by God. Because he remembers the past. He will remember what we're thinking today. He will remember what we did last week, even when we ourselves have a hard time keeping track of it. And so that's where Matthew begins. He wants to highlight for us that God is faithful to the past. And so these specific names are called for and accounted. Now you and I have amazing ways to keep track of things that other people didn't. It should, if anything, be easier for us to remember names and places than it was for people 100 plus years ago. We can type it down and store it in such small containers in our phones or in our computers and then have access to it. That it should be easier, but it's actually not. So for Matthew, 2,000 years ago, to be able to go through a list of names when paper was so scarce, there wasn't paper, there was writing on, on the skins of animals. And so access, just even to written records, was rare. And to be able to, to recall and to record for us each and every one of these things is a testimony to how God is preserving a past that for many other societies is entirely lost. We don't know the names and the generations of so many groups of people 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. But because of this commitment on the people of Israel, believing that God remembers everything and committing to record it, believing that God speaks through his word, we have this great gift of their specific names. And so not only is God faithful to the past, but also God is faithful to his people. And so we get their names, Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Paris and on and on. And as one writer jokingly put, you know, what is in a name? Well, how do you like to be referred to when somebody meets you or when somebody knows you? You appreciate it when somebody identifies you by your name. 
And, and you don't like it very much when they call you by a name that, that's not your own and they, they always call you your sibling's name and that's really frustrating for you. And especially when they're your parent and they're the ones who named you. They gave it to you. It, it shouldn't be that difficult to, to keep track of who's who and which one is which. But there is something in a name in the Bible that God would remember who we are specifically. Not just remember that we existed at one point in time, but that he knows who we are uniquely and specifically, the details of our lives. And so as we go through names that for us are foreign and even hard to pronounce, and it can be so tempting to just skip over it, this morning we only did it for the sake of time and my inability to pronounce half of the names. But in reflecting on it, there is something powerful if in every name we see, we see the faithfulness of God to remember people like we remember the ones that we love the ones that we've cared for, the ones who have influenced us and impacted us. And in our remembering of them, now seeing how God takes care to remember these people, the good and the bad, whatever their lives were like, however, uh, if you will, significant or however many accomplishments they did, he is saying that he remembers who they are and he knows them by name so that when we read later, in the New Testament, that he does know each one of us by name. When Jesus says just even later in Matthew that the Father looks down and he cares about us more than he cares about any other part of his creation, before he says that, he's already demonstrated how God has done that for us. And so we see that God is faithful, faithful to his people. And then one of the the great truths that flows out of that is that God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to the past and he's faithful to his people because he's faithful to the promises that he made. Look down in verse 22. We're going to actually turn a couple of pages now in Matthew because I want to show you how this phrase is repeated several times in Matthew's gospel and it's not repeated as much in any of the other gospels. So here's another way that Matthew is unique. Verse 22, if you're looking down, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then in the next verse, you'll see an indentation because it's actually a quote. If there's an indentation in the New Testament, it's a quote of another source. It's a quote of the Old Testament. So now look at chapter two and verse five. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and then an indentation. This is what was written by the prophet. Turn to the next page. Now in verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah and then an indentation, what it was that Jeremiah said. Look at chapter three and verse three. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a quote from Isaiah. Now look at 4.14. Describing Jesus' ministry. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled Then you get a quote. Now turn to chapter 12, verse 17. You'll see it again. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And there again, we have a text. Now we could keep going. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, and this comes up several times. But here we get the point. Matthew, in ways more strongly than any of the other gospel writers does, is wanting to connect for 
his people in his day that what is happening in Jesus is the fulfillment of promises. This is what was spoken of by this prophet. This is what was spoken of by that prophet. God is keeping his word. He is being faithful to the promises that he made to his people. And so in remembering and being faithful to the past and remembering his people, what he also remembers are the promises that he made to those people and he keeps those promises. Now the question for us is, well, what if not? You know, what if, what would we know about Jesus if we didn't have all these references back to the first 39 books? And all we had was Jesus, this miraculous birth, and now all of a sudden these, these things going on in his life. And here's what I submit to you. That Matthew roots the story of Jesus in the story of Israel so that we can know that God is not only powerful, but also faithful. Matthew roots the story of Jesus in the story of Israel so that we can know that God is not only powerful, but also faithful. Think about it for a moment. What good is it to know that somebody else is powerful? You know, if I were just to start describing to you somebody in the world today that had an excessive amount of power, and they can make things happen. When they decide to do something, it, it gets done. And when they support their family, I mean, everybody's taken care of. And I were just to start to describe this person to you. You could know that they're powerful, but none of that power gets connected to you. And so if anything, that power just becomes either a source of envy or jealousy or well, whatever. Okay, so, you, so somebody else has a lot. Good to know. And we can learn about God as powerful. We can hear about him as being the creator of the universe. But knowing God is the creator of the universe and knowing God is faithful to the promises that he makes to his people are two totally different things. Because if all that we know is that he's powerful and that he's strong, but we don't know how he intends to use that power, then power can be actually a very scary thing. (laughs) Oh, this person has complete control over what I'm allowed to do right now. I mean, there's an intimidation to that, to walk into an environment where all we know is the power of somebody else. But what Matthew does is he roots all that he's about to describe in the life of Jesus and the miracles that he can perform and that his ability to command and control the seas and his ability to teach with authority and say, what I want you to know that God is using all of that power in ways to keep his promises, to be faithful that he would redeem his people from their sins. So that when we know that God is powerful and faithful is when we can say God is good. That when we can say that God is powerful and faithful to his promises, then we can know that he is good. He keeps his word to us. His desire and intention is to use his power not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. Not to destroy us, but to redeem us. And we only get a sense of that if we see him acting in faithfulness towards the promises that he has made. And then this is where we are challenged as we... uh, commit to reading through this gospel to ask ourselves that question. 
do we see in it, as Matthew is giving us his perspective on the life of Jesus, how God is faithful? Are we just learning information about him from a distance that we're not applying to our lives, or are we living in relationship with him and testifying to his goodness and walking in the comfort and the assurance that he intends for us to have, believing that he'll keep track of everything, that he forgets nothing, that he knows us by name, and that the things that he has promised to you and to me are true and good. That's the challenge that you and I have as we engage the word. Are we reading about something that only happened a long time ago? Or is what we're learning about that happened a long time ago affecting you and me today in our walk, in our attitudes, in our relationships, in our desire now to live out this truth before other people? so that they would testify as well to the fact that God is not only powerful, but also faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and We think of the way in which you have described yourself as not only our maker and our creator, but our father, that we can pray to you, that we can address you and call out to you as the one who invites us to be a part of your family. That all of the blessings that you have and all of the power that is yours and all of the beauty of heaven is something that you desire to share with us, to give freely to us. And so we ask that you would give in our own hearts and in our own minds an openness to receiving from you what you have. We confess that sometimes we hold you at a distance. Sometimes we push you away. And we pray that you would overcome our barriers, overcome our doubts, overcome our struggles. And to see in your word how our own names and lives are kept and remembered and preserved and pursued by you. Father, there is so much in these coming days in our world that's going to try to take our eyes off of you. It's going to try to get our eyes on ourselves, on our own situations or families, on our own desires. But we ask that you would help us to commit to your word to keep our eyes on you, to keep our focus on the one true God and to find a joy and a satisfaction much deeper than this world can offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.